very much. So I am going to, uh, just for those of you maybe coming into this series called My Heart Christ Home, a little later in the game, I want to give you a little analogy of what this series is about. Kids, you who are up here for the children's message, look at me, kids who are up here. What is this? It's, it's a record, you know, oh my goodness. Kids, back before there was Pandora, back before there were iPods, back before there were CDs, back before there were cassettes or eight-track players, there was a day when dinosaurs roamed the land, (laughs) and we listened to music on records. And each song, like the first song was out here, then the next one was right there, the next one was like that, and you put it on a little needle, and it spun around, and it made the music. Now, the thing that we learned back then is if you got careless and you just kind of threw the record on there and you didn't get it quite on the needle, it would spin around like this, and everything would not sound right if you didn't have the center where it needed to be. And that's what this series is about. Jesus doesn't fit into a Sunday-only bucket. He needs to be the center of my relationships, the center of my workplace, the center of my thought life, the center even of what we're going to talk about today, my recreation, the rec room of our lives. And if we don't make Him the center, nothing plays right, nothing sounds right. So that's what we're going to be talking about today as we look at the rec room, the recreation room, that piece of our lives where we restore, where we play, where we have fun, where we have a social life. And I want to read to you from the little booklet that our series is based on, the little tiny... How many of you have had a chance to read My Heart, Christ's Home? Pretty good number of hands. It's a very, very simple book, but it's the analogy of a guy who invited Jesus into his heart... And once he invited Jesus into this house called his heart, he found that Jesus wanted to go into the different rooms of his home. He wanted to go into his work life. He wanted to go into his rec room. He wanted to go into the different pieces and be with him in all he did. One evening when I was on my way out with some of my buddies for a night on the town, Jesus was at the door and stopped me with a glance. Are you going out? I answered yes. Good, he said. I'd like to go with you. Oh, I replied rather awkwardly, I don't think, Lord, that you would really enjoy where we are going. Let's go out tomorrow night. Then we can go to a Bible study class or a social at the church. But tonight I'm doing something else. As you wish, was his comment. Only I thought when I came into your house, we were going to do everything together, be close companions. That evening I spent some miserable hours. What kind of friend was I to Jesus, deliberately leaving him out of part of my life, doing things and going places that I knew very well he would not enjoy. When I returned that evening, there was a light on in his room, and I went up to talk it over with him. I said, Lord, I now know I can't have a good time if you're not there with me. From now on, we'll do everything together. Then we went down together into the recreation room of my heart. He transformed it. He brought new friendships, new excitement, new joys, Laughter and music have been ringing in the house ever since. With a twinkle in his eye, he said, You thought that with me around you wouldn't have much fun, didn't you? Remember, I have come that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. 
Lord, we ask you to come and speak with us about how to take you into all the aspects of our lives, Lord. You do a much better job in these different pieces of our world than we do by ourselves. And Lord, today as we talk about how we are renewed, refreshed, how we play, we ask you to speak to us. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're going to read a passage from John 2 where Jesus turned water into wine. It may be familiar to some of you, uh, but it's John 2 starting at verse 1. On the third day there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine gave out, the mother of Jesus said to him, They have no wine. Jesus said to her, Woman, what concern is that to you and me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. First observation, there was a party and Jesus was there. He was at the party. He went to a lot of parties. He went to parties thrown by sinners, whether it was Matthew the tax collector or Zacchaeus the swindler. When they invited him, Jesus tended to come. Or whether it was the religious, whether it was the Pharisees who actually wanted him dead half the time, he did a lot of his ministry in these environments where people kind of let their hair down, where they were having fun, where there was social interaction. He did a lot of his ministry in those environments. Nowadays, a lot of times, we religious folks, we think that if we're really serious about God, we have to look like we've been sucking sour persimmons all the time. Like we somehow God is serious and somber and sober, and if we're serious about Him, we better be too. And Scripture does not bear that out. God invented fun, that He has commanded us to rest, to recharge, to enjoy Him, to enjoy our relationships. So people, loosen up. Loosen up. God invented this fun to restore us. God's not opposed to it. When the wine ran out, Mary, his mother, came to Jesus and expected him to make the party better. Now, Jesus at first, he says, it's not my time yet, because every time Jesus did a very public miracle, the heat on him raised up among his enemies. And Jesus had in his mind kind of this internal clock of the things he needed to do before his appointment with the cross. He said, Mom, I'd rather not. But as only a mother can, she steamrolls right over Jesus' objection and says to the servants, come here, do whatever my boy says, he's going to make wine. So, let's pick it up from verse 6. Now, standing there were six stone jars for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. Jesus said to him, fill the jars with water. And they filled them to the brim. He said to them, Now draw some out and take it to the chief steward. So they took it. When the steward tasted the water that had become wine and did not know where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew, the servant called the bridegroom and said to him, Everyone serves the good wine first, and then the inferior wine after the guests have become drunk. But you have kept the good wine until now. Jesus did this the first of his signs in Cana of Galilee and revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. So in a proper Jewish celebration, there would be these big jugs for water and they were for a ceremonial cleaning of your hands. It's kind of like you go to the mall and they have the little Purell thing or the doctor's office, except this wasn't so much for sanitary reasons. It It was a religious 
symbolism. You didn't even put a whole lot of water on your hands. It was kind of just a ceremony. But when Mary asked Jesus to make wine, he told the servants, go fill those things that are filled with dirty water, ceremonially dirty water. Fill them to the top, pour more water in, and then when they dipped some out, it had become this amazing wine. Now, Jesus was working two agendas here. Jesus was never big on kind of formal religious ceremony. He was always much more involved with the heart. And so, had any of these good, good religious folks at the party known where this good wine was coming from? They wouldn't have drunk it. But Jesus took that, that water, he turned it into wine. They took it to the chief steward. If, if you were a person who had the means to do it, you didn't want to host the party yourself because you'd spend the whole time making sure everybody's glass was full and everybody had food to eat. So you had this chief steward, and he's like, dude, what did you do? You saved the good stuff till last. You're supposed to bring out the carton stuff at this point in the party when people can't tell the difference. But Jesus made this beautiful wine. Now, if you are somebody who struggles with alcoholism, Jesus is not trying to lead you into temptation. I'm just making a point that Jesus went to parties. He had fun. He, God was part of this hemisphere of life where our batteries get recharged, whatever that is to me and to you. So here's what I want to ask you. Have you ever thought about this for your life? What is it that recharges you? What do you do with your discretionary time? What would it look like to invite Jesus into that as much as you invite him into this hour that we have where we're focused on God? What would it look like to bring him into the heart of that time. It kind of got thrown in my face just because of the age at which I became a Christian. I became a Christian when I was 16. A year later, I went off to college. And the, nor the norm there was to get plastered every weekend. And I had to kind of make some decisions about, okay, this piece of my life called recreation, how do I want to live it right now? And I was kind of torn a bit. And I said, you know what? I don't think that 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 snapshot of recreation is going to help me get to who I'm trying to become right now. So I made a choice to not, not go down that path. But I, did, I had a great time in college. I, I had sports. I had friends. I traveled. I went whitewater rafting. I was biking. I was doing everything. But I made some decisions about that recreational piece of my life. Next snapshot. It's four years later. I'm in Africa as a missionary. I had never heard of a day off. Never heard of it. So I just worked seven days a week, 365. After a year and a half, I had seven different kinds of intestinal parasites. I had had malaria five times. I went to the doctor, and the doctor said, if you don't change this, if you don't rest, you will die. You will not make it to 30. So I had to kind of go back and dust off my Bible and say, the Bible actually says that even God rested after six days of work. He rested, and I had to say, okay, maybe God does have something to say about this piece of life where we rest and become restored. Next snapshot, Christy and I are pastors, and we learned this is not an easy way to make a living. And we get to, we've, we've learned we're going to have a day off, but we think, okay, we're going to be as vegetative as you can possibly be on our day off, and we find that's not actually restoring us that much sitting around watching Leave It to Beaver reruns, that is not recharging our battery. We need some inspiration for our soul. And so Christy discovers, man, if she goes to Philoli Gardens and sits out there and 
prays and looks at the flowers, man, that is restorative to her. And I, I start to learn how my soul gets recharged in those things. I was reading a, a book about a soldier, and I saw uh, in warfare, and I saw something that I didn't expect to see there, but he said, in my line of work, sleep is as valuable as bullets. That when I get tired, I can't do what I do very well. So how we recreate is very important to how we live. When we invite God into that piece of our lives, He elevates the conversation because it no longer is a conversation just about recreation. It's a conversation about recreation. How is God's work in me recreated? How do I invest this piece of my life so that I'm not just on a steady slope of decline, just becoming this burned-out husk, but how do I invest that piece of my life so that the work of God in me is enhanced due to how I use my recreation, recreation time? Genesis 1, 31, it's the account of creation. It's after God's done His work of creation. God saw everything He had made, and indeed, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all their multitude. And on the seventh day, God finished the work that He had done, and He rested on the seventh day from all the work that He had done. So God blessed the seventh day and hallowed it, because on it God rested from all the work He had done in creation. So God, who had been creating for six days, He took a day, a seventh day, to rest, to, to be satisfied in what He had done, to re be recreated on the inside. Now, now I'm looking out in this room, and I see some young moms, and I know you can't really say, hey, this is my Sabbath, baby. Um, today, you're going to have to change yourself or just live in that diaper. You've got to be a little bit creative with how you recreate. It may not be textbook perfect, but what restores? What restores the work of God in you and in me? There's a uh, saying, some of you have probably seen this, but they said, in God's intended order, we worship our God, we work at our job, we enjoy our play. But we get confused about that, and instead we worship our work, we work at our play, and we play at our worship. We need God in the middle of that to order those pieces rightly so that we worship our God. We work at our jobs, but we take God with us to our jobs. And we enjoy our play, but He's at the heart of it because He's about recreation and restoration of His children. He does not want us on this declining slope where we're coming crustier and crustier and crustier, but being recreated in the work that God is doing in our lives. So what I'm going to do now is I'm just going to give you a little framework that helped me think this through. Of There's some things we do in the name of recreation that actually probably are a net minus, if you're thinking about restoring the work of God in us, we may call it recreation, but it does not help restore the work of God in us. There's other things that are neutral. They kind of depend on who we are and how we use them. And then there's other things that are genuine recreation. When we do those, the work of God is added to in our lives, and we're becoming more the women of God He created us to be, more the men of God He created us to be. So let me start with that minus column. 
It's stuff that we do in the name of recreation that actually does not recreate us. It actually subtracts from the work of God in us. I'll give you an analogy. Uh, much like this, the man in, this, in the My Heart Christ home, he had invited Jesus into his life but never really thought how that might interact with how he was recreating. And the recreating he was doing was actually at odds with the work of Jesus in his life. But so, many of you know that I enjoy biking. Um, what I enjoy, the type of biking I like to do is I like to climb these hills. I like to climb up through the redwoods and go, I like it because it's slow. You know, I'm going four to six miles an hour, depending on how steep the hill is, but you're in the redwoods, you can see, your mind can wander, I can pray, it's just, it's, it's glorious. One thing I don't like is almost everybody on the road is faster than me. Now, the other day, all that thought, I was carrying in Christy's groceries that she had bought for us, and I'm carrying in a 40-pound box of cat litter. And it's got this sharp plastic handle, and it's digging into my fingers, and it's hurting. And I'm carrying this, and I'm like, dang, that's heavy. And I did some math, and I realized this is how much weight I've gained since we got married. <laughs> and then I'm imagining the guy who got married with a 40-pound bag of cat litter duct taped to his back trying to climb up these hills. And I'm saying, no wonder I'm not as fast as these whip-it-thin bikers who weigh a buck 40. Because my recreational habit of eating is working against my desire to be able to quickly and easily get up these hills. In our recreation, there are things that work that way for us. Drinking to excess, drugs, partying habits that we may have picked up in life that really aren't working. They are not enhancing the work of God in us. Websites I may be frequenting, how much I eat, shopping or retail therapy, and then the credit card bill comes in at the end of the month. And I'm doing these things, trying to, to restore, trying to recreate, and then, but they're, they're actually minusing me. I'm not getting where I want to go. What might those things be in your life? Let me talk about the things that are neutral. Okay, these can be a plus or a minus, they just, inherently, they're neither good nor bad, but it depends how they play out in your life and in mine. Let me talk about vegetation. I'm just talking about TV, going to the movies, video games. Um, I watch my kids, my, my kids, particularly my two girls, they're at a very demanding school. They come back at the end of the day, and they are fried, and they have this much homework to get done, and they just turn on the TV to just kind of shift gears, and I actually think that's probably helpful to them, to just let their brains go into neutral for a little while. Uh, last night, I took my 10-year-old boy to see Godzilla for a man night. So he was like, Dad, sometimes you just got to man up. And so we're at Godzilla. And that was an awesome time for us. But there are many times Christy and I are kind of sitting around at night, just vegetating, watching TV, and we're like, you know what? I think we'd be better off if we just turned this off and went out in the backyard and just sat and talked. Or, you know, it, it can cross a line. It's neither inherently necessarily good nor bad, but it depends how much and the effect that it's having on us. So you kind of have to read your own heart. I can't so much give you a black and white map to tell you everything that's good and bad. I can tell you how to think about it, though. I mean, what role is it playing in your life? Sports and hobbies. Uh, is, I've told you that biking is actually 
That to, the, to me is a, net, is a net positive. It's, I do a lot of my praying there. My wife would rather be shot in both kneecaps than be put on a bike and climb up a hill and get sweaty. That doesn't work for her, but Philoli does. You kind of think through, what are my hobbies and what is the net effect of those on me, or the sports I engage in? Do those things help me or are they just kind of neutral and how much time am I giving to them? Winston Churchill, in the heart of World War II, I mean, he's working 24 hours a day, many days, but every afternoon he would get out his paints and he would paint pictures for two hours because he found if he did not do that, if he didn't take that time, he, his brain just kind of burned out on all the analytical processing. He had to kind of get over into the creative hemisphere of his brain. I don't know whether it's left or right, but he had to get over in that other half and do something, and that was a net positive to him. Food and drink. I am from the South. We make good food. We may die early, but we die happy because it is so good. But Christy and I, we, we had our kids late, and we're looking at these kids who are, I mean, our oldest is 14, and we're, I'm 51. But man, just to keep up with them, I have to be fighting weight because we've got a lot of years of very active parenting to go. So how does that, how do I use that and engage with that in a way that's a net positive? Social life and family calendar. Um, it can be really positive. It can be really a grind. You know, I, I, we played soccer, or our son played soccer, but we played soccer. You know, and there was one weekend in the fall where, I don't know what it was, it was some holiday or something, and there was no soccer that weekend, and all the parents just sighed like, this is heaven. There's no soccer this weekend. This is awesome. But sometimes our social calendars become like a forced march with somebody behind us cracking a whip. Um, and other times, the people that we are having time with, it, we are so built up by having spent time with them. But we kind of have to look. It's neither, a net, it's neither net inherently positive or negative, but you kind of have to look at it and think about it and get the balance right for your soul. Last, I want to think about recreation and things that are a net positive to our life and to our, uh, to our uh, recreation in God. So first is I'm going to put neutral items depending. So for me, biking, it's a net positive. Somebody else, it's totally neutral. But you can go through that neutral list and add to it and say, for me, this thing that might be neutral to somebody else, this actually helps me. There is more of me to live with God after I do this thing than there was before. Um, church, small group. You may not think of this as recreation, but you took your recreation time to do this. You had other options. You could have slept in. You could be taking a run. You chose to invest some of that discretionary time to say, I get recreated by God when I get with Him and with His people. This does the work of God in me. And so that's a piece that is a plus and needs to be in there for us to follow God as well as we could. Community. Community. This, I'm distinguishing this from my social calendar because sometimes, I'll give you an example. Last weekend, we were really tired, but we had some friends who were 
struggling with something a little bit. And so we invited him over for dinner. It was some extra work. Um, but we had him there. And by the time the night was over, we just said, I am so glad we had them. This was so encouraging. You know, and, and social life became community. It was genuine community for us. And when social life becomes community, that's a different deal. That adds on the positive side of the ledger. We talked a couple of weeks ago about how one speaker divided the folks in our lives up into three categories. Some of you were there. You remember this. But he said, there's some people in my life that are basement people. When I'm with them, they drain me. And when I, so I kind of have to manage how much time. There's other people that are audience people. They just watch me live. They neither add to me nor take away. But there's other people in my life who are balcony people. And they're like, Ben, you can do it. Go, go. You don't have to quit. You can make this happen. And we need those balcony people in our lives because that is real community. When we've got enough access to those people, there's more of us left over than there was. In uh, April and May, Christy had opportunities that would have been real easy not to do but we actually spent some money to do them for her to get time with folks from earlier seasons of her life who were mentors for her. And it was so good for her because that piece of community, feeling those roots and remembering who she is and where she came from was so good for her when our social calendar is actually con community. The last thing I want to talk about is just vacation. I don't care if it's a staycation or a go-away vacation. I will say for us, there are things we hear from God when we are out of the saddle that we don't hear when we're in the saddle. When we dis disconnect and go and we've got some time to reflect and slow down. I remember we were on vacation one time and after three or four days, Christy looked at me and she says, I remember you. Because <laughs> she saw me out from, I wasn't stressed out about whatever it was that had been stressing me out. And she's like, she saw this piece of me coming out again. And you, we can really chart in our lives, I don't know what percent, but a big chunk of those times when we've heard from God, things that became kind of a north star for the next section of the journey, we heard when we were on vacation, when we could kind of step back and create some space where we weren't just at the grindstone, but we could hear some things from God that were hard to hear while we were full tilt in life. Brothers and sisters, God is way too big and way too good to be contained in a Sunday box. Whether it's the rec room, whether it's that big chunk of 50, 60 hours a week that you spend at work, He wants to go there with you too. Those core relationships that mean the most to you, He wants to do those with you. That's what He wants. That's His ask, and that's His offer. So invite Him into all of your heart. So maybe new muscle memory. We've got to learn how to do this. We didn't come into the world knowing. But I tell you, he wants to go there with us. So let's pray and ask him to help us. Lord, we thank you that you are good and gracious. And Lord, your offer is bigger than what we thought it was. You want to come with us into how we recreate, how we have fun, how we get restored. You want to teach us to do it better and in deeper ways. Lord, you want to come with us into our marriages, into our parenting, into our life as a single adult and our relationships and our work 
and how we see things and how we think about things. And Lord, we just acknowledge, even though we may not know how to do all of that or have the muscle memory set, that you do a better job of that than we do by ourselves. So come, Lord, and teach us these things. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.